1: Sports Grid and across the country on our radio affiliates. All right, uh, Mafia, I want to start with you. We'll start with the UFC. Uh, Usman wants a July fight with either Masvidal or Connor McGregor. And obviously, uh, either one of those would be huge. I also want to know uh, the story uh, that came out uh, late today about uh, Covington. Am I wrong that they kicked him out of his... Uh, his training group that he does in Miami, he's down there talking yeah. smack about all and they kicked him out of their gym and uh, they're at war now. And then Covington said a bunch of things publicly that uh, he owns Miami. He owns the 305. all knows that uh, Covington owns Miami and all the rest. And now it's just war between those factions.
3: Yeah, that's absolutely true, Scott. That did come out. You know, there was talk of this months ago because – Covington went on some big rant where he was trashing just about everyone there. You know, Masvidal is a training partner. They had to keep them, you know, separate training schedules because they hate each other so much. But they trained in the same gym. He, you know, trashed you on your J-check. So there was a bunch of people that he went after, and he later kind of backtracked a little bit because they called him out on it. And, you know, the, the head of gym said, if you do any of this, we're going to suspend people and kick him out. Well, eventually bit him in the ass because now they kicked him out, and he could talk all he wants about how he doesn't need anybody. But, you know, you've seen plenty of guys – That make huge changes in their career, whether it's, you know, from being crappy to also being incredible or, you know, the reverse where they change gyms and all of a sudden they're not getting the right person in their ear and it hurts them. So Covington can say all he wants that he is, you know, one man show and doesn't need anybody. But that's one of the top teams in MMA. So that's going to hurt him, I think, in the long run. We'll see where he goes after this and how he recovers. As far as the Usman fight. Uh, you know, obviously he wants Masvidal because that guy's huge in that division. He'd bring a lot of eyeballs after that Nate Diaz fight. He's one of the hottest guys right now, his name in the MMA world. So that'd be a great fight, a great title fight, and the guy deserves it. The other name he's bringing up is Worthless. Conor McGregor, is that's a dumb fight for him to take. Well, not a dumb fight for him, but that's a dumb fight to make. He's just doing that because the only other people in that division that would really bring in the dollars are either Masvidal or Colby Covington, who took him to the wire last time, and he probably doesn't want to fight again. Probably would rather make some bigger bucks fighting someone else. So he'll take a guy like Connor who he could probably dominate at 170. But Conor McGregor deserves a title shot in no weight division right now, let alone 170 where he's barely fought. So that's just a ridiculous claim for him. That's just all a money grab for Roosman. He just wants the big bucks. And if he's not going to get Masvidal because he's going to rematch with Diaz, then he'll take the next best thing and just pummel Connor for a couple rounds.
1: Well, wouldn't uh, wouldn't the fight with Mosfidal garner big money too? And who does Covington fight next? What about why don't they put those two idiots together, Covington and Connor? They're both idiots. They'd be perfect for one another. Well,
3: it would be a big, big fight, you know, big money with Mosfidal. The problem is Mosfidal and Diaz were going back at each other last week on Twitter, talking about a rematch of the BMF belt, you know, on Fight Island. So yeah. if Dana does that one instead because that made big money and big ratings. Then it would kind of leave Usman in no man's land. Like I said, the only other guy in that division that kind of deserves a title shot right now, when you got guys like Damian Maya and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, you know, the only other guy that needs a big enough name that would draw some attention and make a big money fight and that makes sense for a title shot is Covington getting that rematch because their title fight was a great one. But that's a dangerous fight for Usman, so he's trying to go the other route and take a guy that's lesser for the same kind of money.
1: You know, at some point or another, I get uh, a little fed up and tired of just constantly having rematches all the time. I mean, at some level, doesn't it get stale where all they ever do is fight the same guys over and over, two, three, four times? Like, I mean, can't they come up with some new material? I mean, can't they get new fighters to fight new matchups, new bad blood? I mean, uh, even wrestling does it better where they can, you know, at least – pretend like they hate each other, and get away with it. Uh, Let me ask Carver, High. I know the story about Tyson Fury and Mike Tyson has your ear uh, because you think it's laughable that uh, anyone would (laughs) even allow it. And what would happen to Mike Tyson if he got in the ring with the heavyweight champion of the world, Tyson Fury, who owns all the belts after beating uh, Deontay
4: Wilder? The guy is the heavyweight champion of the world coming off an absolute Beating of a guy who was an undefeated champion in Deontay Wilder. So you're going to tell me that he's going to fight a 50-year-old man. Uh, I get it. Uh, the, the videos have been fun. We've been talking about this for weeks. Uh, at least him fighting Evander Holyfield or Shannon Briggs or whatever else. I mean, at least all those guys are in the same age class. Uh, you know, that's all fine and good. If they want to go hurt themselves, uh, whatever, if somebody's going to allow it. But nobody would ever allow the current heavyweight champion of the world to to go beat up Mike Tyson for any amount of money. It's by far the most ridiculous Mike Tyson story we have done in the last three weeks.
1: Fury said he's all for it. He said, uh, I'm <laughs> glad to fight him. And uh, you know what he would do to him. But I think that you know he said it never materialized. Uh, I have been shocked, to be honest with you, how much attention Mike Tyson has gotten over the last couple of weeks.
4: Well, for all this attention, Scotty, He better fight somebody at this point, right? I mean, because we're all getting led along here uh, with all these names and all these big propositions. Uh, I hope something actually happens because now I need to see the payoff. I need to see him actually fight somebody. So let's make it happen.
1: Uh, The Nevada Athletic Commission has approved uh, the upcoming UFC event at the Apex in Sin City. They've also approved uh, boxing licenses for events, I think, uh, around June 8th, 9th, somewhere in that uh, vicinity. So uh, the boxing and UFC is going to happen in Vegas like you read about. Plus, the uh, WBA is going to test COVID protocol on Saturday in their event in the Dominican Republic. I've been to uh, Cabarete, the kite-surfing capital of the world. Badass there. Everyone's been to Punta Cana and others. I wish I was in the DR right now, chilling the most on the beach, watching a little kite surfing, having some Mai Tais, causing trouble on coast-to-coast.
0: sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real-time odds predictive betting models expert picks and more want the edge then get on the grid sportsgrid.com
1: have you
3: written a book and need some insight into what comes next or are you passionate about cooking And want to know how to make it your career. Or maybe you just want to hear insider stories about the entertainment industry. Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins,
5: a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. And on our podcast, Two Guys from Hollywood, we bring our expertise to the table. With, of course, delicious cocktails and all kinds of recipes for you to try at home.
1: All right, all with you on Coast to Coast and, of course, across the country on all of our radio affiliates, as I've said, SB Nation Radio and Sports Byline. Good to have you with us on a midweek Wednesday everywhere. Uh, In every nook and cranny of the country, we're on uh, TV and radio. We've taken over the world, and it was really easy doing it, actually. It only took a few minutes, uh, believe it or not. I was surprised. I thought it would take years, but just the fact that it took a couple minutes was really stunning development for me and everyone that I work around. My colleagues should be uh, commended at a high level with lots of beer and women uh, and steaks uh pete abraham is a great writer with the boston globe he's been on the bench a million times we love him how you doing peter everything good i hope your family's well and everything's uh okay up in boston
5: yeah doing okay scott hope you are doing well too
1: my man it's good to see you Uh, i've always had you on the uh radio and now we have you on the tv and the radio we're moving up in the world pete (laughs) yeah i usually
5: don't have this beard it's a product of the pandemic i guess (laughs)
1: Uh, You look great. Hey, so I was reading your article about uh, the latest maneuvers by the owners with the union. And you talked about in the beginning uh, stages of it about the lower scale guys uh, that make the minimum and then how the the big money guys, you know, wield the kind of juice. Uh, that uh, you get more respect or whatever. But at the end of the day, Pete, all these guys are in the same boat. They're all players in Major League Baseball. But why did the offer by the owners offend the players so much and uh, the union?
5: Well, I think there's two things at play. The first thing is back in March when they first had, you know, the game was shut down. The agreement was that the players were going to be paid on a prorated basis based on how many games were played. And as far as the players are concerned, that was the end of it that whatever how many games were played, they would get paid for those games. But the owners contend that the language at the time said that there would be a renegotiation if no fans were allowed in the ballpark. And obviously it appears that that's going to be the case. So now the owners want to renegotiate that original deal from March and cut the payroll, the players' pay even more. And their plan is to have a sliding scale, that the guys making the less would get a greater share of what the prorated uh, numbers would be, and the guys making more would end up making less. So somebody like Garrett Cole or Mike Trout, instead of the 30-plus million that they would make, they would make $7 And somebody who was making closer to, you know, say $600,000 might make $400,000. So it's a better percentage for those guys, a lesser percentage for the well-known guys. I don't know if they're trying to split the union. Uh, It reminds me of what the NFL did with their latest CBA negotiations, offering the lesser players a better deal than the star players. But it was something that the union was adamantly opposed to, and they're going to have to negotiate another way to do this.
1: So when you uh, when you saw like uh, Blake Snell, for instance, not only uh, talk about I'm not doing this unless I get mine, and then you saw Harper support him, Bryce Harper support him, and you saw guys like that make that move, and then in concert, uh, Snell fires his agent and hires Boris. In the last few days, is there anything else that Blake can do to further damage his reputation with the American public than his greed or his move to the greediest guy in the history of professional sports who's the best at money, Scott Boris? I mean, this guy, Blake Snell, it is written all over him now that all he cares about at all is money. I mean, it's painfully obvious.
5: Yeah, I mean, it was a very tone-deaf move by Blake, and that's one thing the union's got to get better at is communications. MLB is very good at dropping stories on the right people, getting their point out. The union is not as adept at that. Before these negotiations started, they should have been in contact with every player to say, don't make a mistake like Blake Snell made, even if you actually feel that way, and I'm sure he probably does. That's not the kind of thing you want to voice. I mean, you know, I understand players want to get paid, and The owners are obviously making billions and the players are making millions. It's hard to pick a side here, but the players should know better than to kind of take their case to the public because they're never going to win that fight.
1: I love uh, your style and always have. And that's why I've always had you on my show. I love the fact that you, Pete Abraham said basically uh, in, in not so many words, you said that baseball can't do anything right. I mean, they just can't even do anything right. They literally can't get this right. It's almost, uh, you know, and you said that they can't even get the little things right. And I am saying that it really is getting to the point where it's becoming almost laughable and embarrassing watching these chess moves they're making.
5: Well, I mean, you look at the NBA. They're, they're progressing towards having that plan where they'll play in Florida. The NHL announced their plan yesterday. Uh, the PGA Tour is ready to start up again. NASCAR has already started up again. They're playing soccer in Europe. All of these different leagues are making progress. They're doing what they have to do. In baseball now, you have public discussions and public fights going on with the players and the owners. Everything's being run through the media. It's very unseemly. They can't just come up with a deal. And then you look at even the little things. In the NBA, they're not letting everybody work out until every team has the same opportunity to do that. If if facilities are closed in California, but they're open in Florida, they're not going to let the teams in Florida get an advantage. And that only makes sense. In baseball, they have no rules. So Tampa Bay has workouts going on in Tropicana Field right now. Meanwhile, Fenway Park is closed and things like that. You would think that they would tell all 30 teams until we get clearance for all of you. Not any of you can work out. Let's make it fair. But they don't you know, they're not doing that. And if they can't get things like that straightened out, it makes you wonder what will it be like when they have to deal with the players and the coaches and the managers, everybody traveling around the country trying to play 82 games.
1: What do you think of uh, Rob Manfred, of how he handles his business and problems like this, uh, of how he's doing as commissioner? I know fans boo commissioners uh, for my entire life. It doesn't matter who has that job. They get, uh, you know, the the short end of the stick with fans. But what do you feel of, of his performance in the job that he has?
5: Well, I mean, Rob Manfred is a labor lawyer by trade, and, and his job is to represent the owners and try to get them the best deal. And he's not a commissioner who's like, like a Bud Sealy who was in it for the love of the game and talked, you know, would weep and talk about how much he loved baseball, and Hank Aaron was his best friend and all that sort of stuff. I think Rob Manfred likes baseball, but Rob Manfred is a businessman. And these days, I think the commissioner for most sports, you have to be a businessman Uh, That's not a job where you're walking around talking about how much you love the sport. It's a job where you're trying to run the sport. So Rob's got, you know, he inherited a lot of things that he had to deal with. There's rule changes that have to be made. It's a different media environment than Bud Selig was dealing with. Uh, There's certainly a different financial environment. There's a lot of things that he needs to get straight. And meanwhile, you've got in Tony Clark, the executive director of the Players Association, a former player who kind of landed that job because Michael Wiener, the previous executive director, passed away unexpectedly. So there's two guys trying to represent their constituencies and constituencies that demand a lot out of them. But this is not, you know, there's there's going to be a time that they can fight over the CBA. That, that's going to be in, after the coming season. But now is not the time to be having these fights and, and not being able to get on the same page. I think they eventually will, but, but they've got to get this done within the next week to have any kind of chance of the teams going back to have spring training.
1: I know that you uh, wrote that you believe it will uh, come to fruition, that they will figure it out. In the 11th hour, they're going to come to some type of a deal, whether it's influential owners that make the difference or a maneuver here or there that it'll, it'll get done. I have 90 seconds respectfully. Then we'll talk about the Red Sox after the break. I want to ask you, do you believe that he has handled the cheating scandal poorly?
5: Well, uh, Manfred, are you talking about? yes. Yeah, no, I think the Astros were punished uh, like they should have been. Uh, I think the Red Sox thing was completely overblown from the start. There wasn't much there to to be uncovered. Uh, The players were correct when they said that there wasn't much there, and that proved to be the case. I think in retrospect, given what they learned about the Astros after the investigation was concluded, they might have been punished more severely. But to the extent that they knew what they knew at the time, I thought Manfred came down on them pretty hard. Uh, Two guys got fired, lost their jobs, they lost draft picks, they lost money. Uh, Had there been a season, those players would have been tortured this year by fans. I think the luckiest guys in baseball right now are the Houston Astros because they're going to play games without fans, and and
1: that's going to benefit them. All right, so uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to talk to uh, Pete Abraham about the current state of the Boston Red Sox. Uh, people can't even fathom, uh, really, in my opinion, what's happening with this baseball team with Sale, with Betts gone, with Cora gone, with Renicky in. I mean, it is just a, a complete 360, I think, what uh, people expected and what they're going to get. I want to find out where this team is, uh, what the plan is. Uh, They're going to get back on the field, and they're going to have to put a team out there. Are they going to stink, or are they going to be decent? We'll find out. We're talking to the great writer from the Globe, Pete Abraham, on Coast to Coast.
4: All right, thanks, Scotty. Carver High here with a Sports Grid update. The NBA had hoped to have a restart format by Friday when the Board of Governors speak. Adam Silver again, but that does not look like the case as they continue to try and incorporate the three most serious plans, according to ESPN. They are, however, working on multi-phase medical and safety protocols, which include in-market training camps in July, camps and scrimmages in Orlando, then hopefully resuming play late July, early August. Also under discussion is a plan to allow family members, limited family members, to join the players in the Orlando hub. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban has suggested one of those plans, serious or otherwise, to the league office. That would include all 30 NBA teams playing five to seven regular season games before a play-in tournament to determine the final two playoff seeds. Cuban considers it a must for all 30 teams to participate. In his proposal, the top 10 teams from each conference would qualify for the playoffs and be reseeded based on record. And then they would have play-in matchups for seeds 17 through 20 to get into the tree. Coming off another injury-plagued season, Texans defensive end J.J. Watt isn't seeking a contract extension this offseason. Despite having two years with no guaranteed money left on his deal, Watt is instead focused on, quote, trying to prove my worth. And when asked about an extension, he said, no, I don't think that's necessary. Since he signed a six-year, $100 million contract uh, back, uh, oh, that was set to expire before 2021, Watt has won two of his three Defensive Player of the Year awards, But Watt has also missed two and a half seasons due to injury, including missing eight regular season games in 2019 with a torn pec. NASCAR tonight in Charlotte. The Outsco uniform 600. Chase Elliott, plus 550 favorite on FanDuel, followed by Kyle Busch and Martin Truex Jr. at plus 600. Brad Keselowski, of course, coming off a win Sunday at Charlotte. He is set at plus 1,000. There is some rainy and stormy weather in the Charlotte forecast tonight. NHL news. Jeff Blaschel will return as coach the Detroit Red Wings. That according to general manager Steve Eiserman. For the Penguins, Nicholas Bugstad will not play when the NHL restarts. He is having season-ending surgery, but they should get back forward Jake Gensel. The Islanders look like they will have defenseman Adam Pellick back from injury as well. The UFC's next two events have officially been approved. The Nevada State Athletic Commission voted unanimously in a phone meeting this morning to allow a pair of UFC cards to run in Vegas over the next two weeks. This Saturday and on June 6th, both events will take place at the UFC Apex with no fans. UFC Fight Night on Saturday will be headlined by Tyrone Woodley and Gilbert Burns. UFC 250, pay-per-view June 6th, headlined by Amanda Nunez defending her featherweight title Against Felicia Spencer. I'm Carver High with a Sports Grid update. Want the edge? Get on the grid.
1: All right, Carver High. Good stuff. Uh, we're on uh, Coast to Coast as usual, Sports Grid, and on our radio affiliates across the country. Good to have you with us. We're talking to Pete Abraham of the Boston Globe. Pete, I have to uh, start with, uh, you know, how the whole Cora thing kind of happened. Like uh, when that thing picked up steam and you knew he was in trouble and then, you know, how it played out and then how they decided on Ron Renneke. Can you go back and kind of rewrite that for me?
5: Well, when the report came out on the Astros, I think Cora was mentioned 11 times. He was mentioned more than anybody else. And it was clear, the report made clear that he was one of the ringleaders of this scheme uh, he calls Speltron and, and put together this, uh, you know, way to get the camera in the center field and the video feed to the dugout and banging on the trash cans and all that stuff. He was clearly uh, at fault. And at first the Red Sox had no comment. And then 36 hours later, they were having a press conference to say that Alex Cora was no longer their manager. And whether they wanted to do that, whether they were forced into doing that by major league baseball, I think there's some questions about that, but clearly they felt like they couldn't go on with him as the manager knowing what they knew what had happened the year before he became their manager. And at the same time, there was an investigation going on about what the 2018 Red Sox might have done. It turned out to be nothing, but we didn't know that at the time. And so the move was made uh, roughly two weeks before the start of spring training that Alex Cora was gone. And then because of this investigation that was going on, they didn't want to name Ron Reneke the manager because what if he was caught up in that investigation? So they made him the interim manager. The investigation came out. He wasn't impl- It was named, never even showed up in the investigation. Uh, then he was named the manager. Whether that's gonna be for a year, more than a year, who knows? But for now, he's the manager and, and he's trying to pick up the pieces of a team that's not gonna look very much like the team we saw in the last couple of years.
1: How do you feel about uh Ron Renicky being the Red Sox manager and how it's kind of fallen into his lap, right? Fair enough. And then they've had these Uh, You know, I've always been fascinated by the Red Sox. Like, you are, as a reporter, covering them. They are fascinating over the years, no question about it. Uh, The rivalry with the Yankees, put that aside. Just following the Boston Red Sox on a day-to-day, year-to-year basis, over time, decades, you've seen crazy stuff happen, right? And managers, uh, one day on top of the world, the next day looking for a job. What is this like for you to see this guy get this gig and, and, like, Can you even compare it to, like, the Dusty Baker thing, how he got that job, uh, you know, in Houston? Like, he's like a a lame duck as well. Do you feel that way about Ron?
5: Well, I don't know that this is going to be a long-term job for him. He's 64 years old. He's been a coach for several years now. He hasn't managed since the early 2000s when he was in Milwaukee. Uh, I don't think he had any intentions of managing. I think he was comfortable being Alex Cora's bench coach. Uh, That's obviously a much different kind of job, a lot less stress than being a manager. But I do think that they made the right move by keeping an internal candidate to be the manager as opposed to going out and hiring somebody. With spring training about to start, I think it would have been very difficult for somebody to come in from the outside and take over a team with a lot of veteran players, still having some expectations in a market like Boston and say, "Okay, go ahead and manage this team. We don't know how long you're going to do it. You know, take your best shot. I think that would be very hard to do. I think somebody like, like S.D. Baker could have done it. He had already been hired by the Astros. I don't know that there was anybody else out there who could have done it successfully. Now, and we don't know, obviously, if Ron Renick, he can do it successfully. But he has the trust of those players, and I think that's a good first step.
1: When you saw Sale uh, last year, and, and let's say when you've – at some point, Pete, you cover every game. There's no way that you, of all people that I know – didn't notice something was wrong with his stuff and that you had to be thinking and writing that something's not right. And then eventually, uh, you know, in not so many words, his arm fell off and he's having his, uh, you know, Tommy John, whatever you want to call it, uh, and he's going to be out a year. At what point did you know something was wrong with him and that because it seemed like they played like nothing was wrong with this guy all the way until the point when his arm fell off. And then they're like, oh, we got a real problem on our hands now. We just lost one of the best pitchers in the game. What are we going to do? You know what we'll do in honor of that? We'll get rid of Mookie Betts. Like, what kind of drinks were they drinking when they made that decision? But first, take me back to when you knew something was wrong.
5: Well, it really goes back to probably this time last year when his velocity was not as high as it usually is. You're used to Chris Sale being a 97-98 guy with his fastball, a very hard slider, a good changeup, and you weren't seeing that same kind of fastball. And they said, well, it's because they had a long postseason. It's because the weather's kind of cold. And meanwhile, he was still pitching very effectively, but you didn't see the same velocity. But the thought was that it would come over time as the weather warmed up. and Okay, that's a reasonable thing to think. And he was also pitching pretty well. But as time went on, his velocity did not pick up. He had what they said was a shoulder problem. That sidelined him for a while. He came back and was terrific in one start. I think he had 12 strikeouts. Uh, The velocity ticked up. It looked like he was back to being Chris Sale. And then next thing you know, it's an elbow issue. And he's going to see Dr. James Andrews. He's had to get a a PRP shot. Uh, Everything was an indication of Tommy John surgery is what they're going to say is coming next. But when the season ended, all they said was, well, we're we're just going to give this some time. And and it seemed like they were hoping against hope that something good would happen, and and it didn't happen. He got to spring training. uh, He wasn't able to pitch. He tried to face hitters. The next morning, his elbow hurt. A couple days later, he's going to get Tommy John surgery. Now, if you talk to the medical people, they will tell you that the MRIs that they took last summer did not show a torn ligament. Otherwise, he would have had Tommy John surgery and that you don't do Tommy John surgery um, just as an elective. You only do Tommy John surgery if you need to have it. And I understand that. It's a a very complicated surgery. It's an invasive surgery. It's a long rehab. You try to avoid that as much as possible. But this has been a ticking time bomb for the Red Sox going back 12 months, and it was certainly no surprise when it happened in spring training. Uh, It's a terrible thing for him and his career. But uh, you look back at how the Red Sox handled the whole thing, giving him a contract extension a year ago, and then his velocity fell off the charts, and then he got hurt, and now he has Tommy John. It's, it's been one wrong thing after another now going back to last spring training.
1: I can't believe that they actually sat around and thought to themselves, you know what, let's just let him uh, rest a little bit and we'll see how this thing evolves. And uh, hopefully uh, it'll get better and it just needs a little time. Like, what kind of moron thinking is that? Uh, They should have been on top of this knowing that they had a problem on their hands. And I feel like they were kind of idiotic about the way they handled it. I also feel uh, that they made a bad move with Mookie Betts. I mean, you can't even deny that, like, the Rondon worked. They kept him for the last year. They knew they were going to lose him, uh, but they kept him, and they won a World Series. Are the Red Sox no longer in the business of winning World Series? Why get rid of Betts when they could have still had him? He's the best player maybe in baseball, and they got rid of him like he was some kind of hack.
5: Yeah, I mean, when you look at what they did at the time, this was before the pandemic. At the time, they thought Chris Sale was healthy. Uh, Trading Mookie Betts seemed like a terrible idea. Uh, You're basically saying that you're not intending to compete for the World Series. Uh, You didn't get any players back remotely of the same value as Mookie Betts. Uh, You're signaling that money is, you know, saving money is more important than contending for the World Series. Everything about it was a terrible message. Um, Now, after the pandemic has struck, it's going to end up looking like a much better deal for the Red Sox. They're getting players in return for what's going to amount to less, you know, half a season maybe for Mookie Betts with the Dodgers. Uh, you don't know whether he's going to stay with the Dodgers. Mookie now uh, could have had a, a long-term lucrative contract with the Red Sox that he turned down, which precipitated the trade. Now you don't know what the free agent market's going to look like next year. Coming off of the pandemic, it's certainly not going to be as lucrative as you, you would have thought it would be, even for a guy like Betts. So Betts is in a worse position. The Red Sox might be in a better position long term, and the Dodgers have to hope that 82 games of Mookie Betts is going to get them to the roll series. Otherwise, that's a bad trade for them.
1: You know, it's weird because there was a point when he was going to make three or $400 million in a long-term deal. I really believe that. And then I don't think he's ever going to sniff that money again, I'll be honest with you. I have to ask you, is it Weber, McHugh, uh, Rodriguez, Ibaldi and Perez? Is that who they're leaning on if they get back to business? Or am I missing something here with other guys that they possibly believe in of their uh, really a, a heap of nobodies?
5: Yeah, no, you, that's a good way to put it. A heap of nobodies. And yeah, Rodriguez, they have a lot of faith in him. the uh, obviously, they feel like uh, Martin Perez can be better at least than he was at the end of the season with the Twins. After that, uh, it could be Ryan Weber, who's never really been an established big league pitcher. They signed Colin McHugh, but at, when we left spring training, he was not able to pitch. We don't know if he's going to be able to pitch in July. They're, they're hoping that's going to be the case. But he's coming off an elbow issue, too. I think you're going to see a lot of what Tampa Bay did. They're going to have openers. They're going to have guys come in for a few innings here and there. They'll have a few established starters, maybe three of them, maybe four of them. Uh, There's going to be a lot of mixing and matching. But in a short season, the Red Sox get a break in a short season. You can cover up your weaknesses over 82 games a lot better than you can over 162. I don't know that they're going to contend, but they have a better chance of contending with this pitching staff with fewer games.
1: I got one minute respectfully, Pete. Is Devers the man now in Boston? Is that what uh, everyone's eyes are on? Because I know you guys still write stories about Dustin Pedroia, but he's toast, dude.
5: Yeah, uh, Dustin, I think, is done. It's just a matter of when he says he's done. Uh, The two big names in Boston are Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers. Both of those guys are terrific young players. Bogarts signed for the long term. They'd like to do the same thing with Devers. A really good left side of that infield. Uh, Two players who who hit for average, who hit for power. Uh, Good defensive players. Uh, that's the future of the Red Sox without Mookie Betts. It's certainly not as rosy as if you had Mookie Betts, but in those two guys, they've got a foundation that they can build on.
1: Pete, you're fantastic. I always love having you on the show. Hopefully we'll be able to uh, catch up and talk baseball throughout the season and we get some Red Sox and Yankee bad blood going, and uh, hopefully I can get up to Fenway maybe and buy you a steak before a game one day. I always appreciate you. Thanks for coming on Coast to Coast today. Love you, Pete. All the best to you and your family. Stay healthy, man.
5: I appreciate it, Scott. Thank
1: you. Pete Abraham, the great writer with the uh, Boston Globe with us on Coast to Coast today. It's amazing to me that uh, I still see stories about uh, Pedroya just constantly writing, not, not Pete, but others writing about Pedroya. Man, he is finished. His body is absolutely shot. All right, Pharrell with you on coast-to-coast coast with Carver High Mafia and Joe Ranieri and all of our radio affiliates on SB Nation and Sports Byline are enjoying the show today. It's a beautiful thing. Everybody gets free beers. Shawna beer, Inman and Iron, a beer, Inman and Iron, a beer, beer, puke. All right, uh, here we go. Mets, uh, Marcus Stroman. I'm still surprised that he's on the Mets, to be honest with you. It says the uh, season is not looking promising, Carver High. Do you believe... Um, that players actually uh, are buying this—that they're not going to play, and that this is going to get screwed up. Because I got to tell you, I think Pete Abraham's right that in the 11th hour they're going to figure this out, and they realize that if they don't play baseball this summer, and everybody else goes back to playing in this pandemic, and there's no baseball, I don't—I I honestly don't believe baseball will ever recover, and soccer, MLS, will pass it.
4: Uh, I'm with you 100%. They will not recover if they don't figure this out. Will they figure it out at some point in the magical 11th hour? Uh, I sure hope so. But I know that the way that they've started yesterday, uh, and that ain't going to cut it because you know that the Stars, Scotty, uh, they run this league. Uh, guys that make 30, million, $35 million a year, uh, they're not going to play for $7 million. Uh, Garrett Cole just signed a monster deal with the Yankees. Uh, He ain't going to play for $7 million. I'm sorry, he just isn't. So they need to find a way to get closer to the middle uh, at some point. And I'm still going by what I said. I'm giving it till Friday for positive news. Don't have to have a deal, but I want to hear some kind of positive talks before I start thinking that there's actually going to be baseball this summer. Yeah, Mafia, Blake Snell has uh,
1: hired Scott Boris as his agent. You know, uh, with the moves he's made lately, opening up his mouth about money and getting his, and then now hiring, uh, let's face it, the greediest agent in all of sport. Forget about just baseball. He's the best agent in sports. For the money that he's made, baseball pitchers, no one even comes close to Scott Boris. Is there anything else Blake can do to show his greed? How about... um, Maybe he should uh, start building a $500 million mansion uh, down in Tampa along the waterfront and then do daily video clips of uh, them building the mansion. And then maybe he could do a Saturday-Sunday show on his litany of high-priced sports cars that he has. Is there anything uh, Blake can do to ruin his image any further?
3: Short of holding out if they actually have a season and not showing up? No, I don't think he can. I mean, this obviously, as you said before, just goes right in line with what he's done so far with the comments Mm -hmm. he made. And, you know, Pete Abraham talked about how, you know, these guys aren't always the best at reaching out to the fans and communicating with them and being on their level. And maybe that was the issue. Maybe when he made those comments, the agent that he had said, dude, look, that doesn't look good. Like, you can't say stuff like this. And he says... No one forgets you. I'm going to go to the guy who's been running his mouth about this too, and Scott Boris, because Boris has been the same saying the same stuff for his clients The Snow was saying about what he wanted with his salary. So he just went and jumped to the guy that's going to do exactly what he wants.
1: Carver, I got to ask you. Uh, the A's are uh, going to stop paying minor leaguers. Uh, the Dodgers are going to cut employee salaries starting June 1st. Uh, Carver, I got to ask you. Uh, Seriously, do you believe, because I'm starting to believe this, I actually think that the uh, A's, and you and I have had this conversation, you think they're going to move out of Oakland and that they'll possibly be a new owner. I either think uh, that I would agree with that or that they're going to flat out go broke and go under. I don't know where their money's coming from. I have no idea. that They're not paying anybody. Now they're not going to pay players. Are the A's going to go away is the question. And then how funny is it that the Dodgers are going to stop paying employees on June 1st when they're, like, literally, are they not with the Yankees, the two richest teams in all of baseball?
4: Yeah, absolutely. They're one of the uh, two or three. That's for sure. They're going to stop paying employees June 1st. I guess everybody has to make their own decisions when it comes to this stuff, right, Scotty? uh, As far as the A's, all of these owners, uh, I don't care if you're the biggest market or you're the smallest market, they all have money. Uh, I saw it added up, the Oakland A minor leagues thing. If you took, uh, you know, let's say it's $400 a week or something like that, they were paying them, times, uh, you know, 150 or 175 minor leaguers, it just works out to like a million bucks or something like that. So that's what they're saving in this whole deal by not giving them their 400 bucks a week uh, for the rest of the season. So, uh, you know, everybody wants to deal with it differently. This is the way that the athletics and the Dodgers have chosen to deal with their way. All right. So, uh, Mavia, Rory MagElroy
1: says they should cancel the Ryder Cup. Uh, is he getting ahead of himself? Do you think they should still have it?
3: You know, and I kind of agree with him because, you know, we don't know what it's going to be like as far as having fans at these tournaments right now. They're coming back, but there's no one there. And while, you know, these golfers are usually pretty stuffy and don't want any of these guys bothering them and getting involved in their game, the Ryder cups, one of the few tournaments where they actually embrace the fans and they embrace the craziness and let fans actually be fans like they are with other sports. So, you know what, that's one of those situations. If they can't be there, you know, it might not be the same for them. Plus the way you have this schedule being pushed back with everything going on with how the late start that they've had because of COVID that all these tournaments that are getting pushed back to later in the year, much later than they were before, you know, it might be tough for them to fit all these things in. I agree with them. Let's not push it back and let it be the full experience
1: that they enjoy. All right. Bobby Hurley's at war with Ray Anderson, the athletic director at Arizona state. Bottom line is what I get out of it. Carver high is that there's a booster that apparently and allegedly was involved in some sexual harassment of some female athletes in the Arizona state program and that Bobby Hurley, in, in in essence, didn't want this guy around the program whatsoever at all. And then apparently he uh, showed up at some event and uh, was there, and it really sent a Hurley over the edge. And then he wrote a nasty letter to Ray Anderson, the AD, who I'm friends with, by the way, and I know the Hurleys too, but I'm friends with Ray, and and Bobby Hurley basically, in essence, called him a liar, and that he is a dangerous man letting this guy on or anywhere near female student athletes at Arizona State. That situation looks real messy.
4: Not a good scene for everybody involved, that's for sure. Uh, you've got a lot of you know, big-name coaches and personalities there at Arizona State, whether it be the A.D. Anderson, the coach Bobby Hurley, and the football coach Herm Edwards as well. Not low-profile guys that you have running the two major sports at that university. And Hurley's got some things that he doesn't like. Sounds like he's got a problem with Anderson. Um, you know, I know that Bobby Hurley, if he uh, left Arizona State, Scotty, he'd have a job tomorrow, uh, whatever it's going on. He, he absolutely would. So that might be the decision that has to come down the line.
1: All right, your old boy, Matt Doherty, was at Notre Dame, and I got a graphic about this guy. He's a motivational speaker now, and he talked about the pressure uh, that you have to win the next game. There's no real time to build. You're not in control. Your roster turns over every year, every summer, guys transfer. It's a tough existence. I didn't step on a lot of landmines at Notre Dame. There weren't as many out there, but at North Carolina, I did. There were a lot more landmines. At Notre Dame, they were embracing change. At North Carolina, they did not embrace change. What do you think of uh, Carver High, your boy Matt Doherty, who was with the Irish and at North Carolina, admitting that the pressure was too much for him and that he didn't like being a coach and he likes his life a lot better now doing what he's doing?
4: I, I can understand what he's saying 100%. And I liked Matt when he was the coach at Notre Dame. Uh, you know, when he left, they made their best hire ever in Mike Bray. So, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm happy about that. And he got big money at North Carolina. They are different jobs. North Carolina is a basketball school. It is one of the blue bloods. We talk about it all the time. Duke, Carolina, Kentucky, Kansas. Uh, you are expected to win 30 games. You are expected to go to the Final Four. Nothing less than... Is acceptable. Whereas at Notre Dame, you can try to, uh, when Matt was there, build your own program, try to do things differently, try to rise up the ranks. That's not good at Carolina. You know, he had a couple of bad years at Carolina, tried to reinvent the wheel, and they said, absolutely not. Let's go get Roy out of Kansas and fix this thing. Uh, it's just two different places to coach.
1: All right, Mafia, the uh, New Jersey Governor Murphy has opened up uh, the state for activities for pro teams. Uh, that's very exciting for us, uh, living in New Jersey. Let's, uh, get the teams, you know, jets giants, there'll be no devils. So we know that's happening. But the question I have for you is, uh, do you think everything else is going to open up? Are we going to get everything else going back to normal now? Or is it going to be one day at a time, something else opens up and we got to keep waiting. Or are we going to keep staying in prison here?
3: Well, first, nothing's ever going to go back to, you know, normal of what it was before. Everything's going to be changed. There's always going to be more, you know, less capacity in restaurants and movie theaters and any situation where you have a lot of people packed in. They're going to limit those numbers now because they don't want this to kick back up again. But things are going to start opening. It's going to be a slow process, though. I mean, especially Jersey, New York, Connecticut, the tri-state area where we live, where we work, you know, was one of the hardest hit in the whole world. So they're going to take their time, and they're going to open things slowly, and they're going to try to get things back to normal as much as they can. They've opened, you know, some parks, some beaches, you know, drop-off, retail, you know, the curbside pickup type of stuff. But they're not going to rush because the last thing they want is those numbers to jump back up to where they were a couple months ago. All
1: right, right, let's. Uh, we got a graphic of the NASCAR race tonight. It might get rained out in Charlotte, but here's the odds. Mafia, who do you like there? I'm going with Marty Truax at plus 600. As you know, I'm a huge fan.
3: I'll go Kyle Busch at plus 600. I mean, the guy races so often, how could he possibly lose? He's always on the track. He knows every track they race because he's racing three different, uh, you know, series there. So I'll go with him.
4: What do you think, Carver? How you got a pick for tonight's uh, NASCAR race? You know, Keselowski's been hot. I know that he won on Sunday. He's won a couple times now since they've restarted. I'm going to keep riding that hot hand with Keselowski tonight plus 1,000.
1: Whoa. All right. How about this one, uh, Carver? Hyde? Do you believe Bob Baffert drugs his horses? They've uh, failed two more horses drug tests uh, under his tutelage. He says, test them again. How about we don't test them again? How about they failed? And how about you cheat?
4: Yeah, Bob's been skirting around this for a long time, man. The whispers have been there and they've been out in the open as well. Uh, A lot of things are starting to show up at Bob's doorstep. I know that he's one of the Greatest trainers of all time, but never good when all this stuff keeps landing on you. It's kind of points like he is a bit of a cheater, right, Scotty? I mean, uh, without a doubt. And all they ever
1: do at NBC, they keep just making this, glorifying this guy like he's some kind of – uh, the hero to America with his family, every triple crown. All they ever do is Bob Baffert television. I'm sick and tired of it. Uh, tell me about the Premier League. More failed COVID tests, uh, Carver High. And where are they? On stage two of coming back? Uh, I don't know what to believe with the Premier League.
4: Yeah, but you know what? If you look at – you're going to have positive tests. And if you look at it by based on the number of people that they tested – It isn't that bad, and they want to get this thing restarted. It looks like they're kind of going along the same path that the Bundesliga did. They're going to start practicing. The teams have voted now to get together and start practicing on their training uh, grounds again. So I think, Scotty, there is a chance that by late June, we might see them come back like the Bundesliga did. So the Bundesliga, the best
1: ratings in America for Bundesliga soccer in Germany has been, listen to this, Cincinnati, the Queen City, has the best ratings. Russ Wilson, Subert, and Megan Rapino are going to host a virtual ESPYs. What a thrill that'll be for everybody. DraftKings allegedly exploit uh, the acquisition of Bleacher Report from Turner, and Turner is vehemently denying that Bleacher Report is for sale or that they are in talks with DraftKings. D.C. lottery going to begin soon, and they're going to be taking bets on sports in our nation's capital. That's a great thing. I got the uh, crazy police blotter, deaths, etc. cetera. We love it. Dodger Stadium, now the largest coronavirus testing site in the state of California. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Ex-Georgia uh, State running back Gerald House found dead in his home. What is going on there? That is a bad scene. Jimmy Fallon having a rough day, apologizing for an old blackface skit that he did 20 years ago, imitating Chris Rock. That didn't go over well. Bill Clinton allegedly spent time on uh, Jeffrey Epstein's, quote, orgy island, end quote. I want to go to orgy island. That sounds like a, that, like better than fight island, I'll tell you that much. I want to I go to the orgy island. Uh, where are you flying this weekend? I'm going to the orgy island. A prisoner ran a prostitution ring out of a jail cell. I love that guy. And a Christian teacher charged with soliciting a male prostitute after claiming a black man kidnapped him. I have seen it all. I just love that. I just have to say it again. The prisoner runs a prostitution ring out of the jail cell. What a fantastic I mean, idea that guy had going, uh, running that operation. Way to go, fella. And then the Christian teacher charged with soliciting a male prostitute, uh, spending all day teaching the kids about God and then uh, going out and finding his God later that night on the streets. Uh, these are just fantastic stories that we find all the time for you on Coast to Coast. Uh, it's time for another exciting edition of This Day in Sports. Here we go. 1955, Norm Sachin of the uh, Red Sox hits three arm runs with a double and 10 RBIs. 10 RBIs in the first five innings of a 16-0 win over the Washington Senators. And 68, George Howes retires from coaching. Finishing with 318 regular season wins and six NFL titles. In 1975, the Flyers beat the Sabres for a 4-2 series win to take back-to-back Stanley Cup titles. They haven't sniffed it since. 1981, Julius Irving and the Sixers was named the NBA's MVP, making him the only player to ever win honors in both the NBA and the ABA. In 1982, new owners headed by John McMullen by the Colorado Rockies and move the team to the Meadowlands under the new name, the New Jersey Devils. And then they'd win a bunch of Stanley Cups. In eighty five, Scott Wedman sank four. Three-point field goals without a miss and shot 11-for-11 11 11 from the field. Both NBA Finals records. Boston routed the Lakers 148-114 in Game 1. Boston's 148.62 field goals remain an NBA Finals record. In 97, Griffey of the Mariners breaks his own Major League record with home runs hit through May by connecting for his 23rd of the season. He breaks the mark. he set in 94 with 22. In 2000, Maurice Rocket Richard dies of abdominal cancer. Or Parkinson's disease at 78. In 2007 and 2012, Dario Franchitti wins the Indianapolis 500. Got to do that once in your life. I love that race. And 2019, Bill Buckner dies of dementia at 69. Uh, Bill Buckner. Uh, they'll never forget Bill Buckner, will they? Uh, great show. Carver High Mafia. Joe Ranieri. Game time decision is next on Coast to Coast with Gabe and Cam and the boys. North of the border. Shake out. Ooh.